Well, I'm uh, Sam Molend, and uh, the hour is right and the time is correct, so we're ready to talk a little bit about dental surgery. I know my colleagues uh, in medicine have always said, you know, I wish I was a dentist and I could do something that was more or less permanent for the people that come to me that are having so many kinds of problems, even though we treat them for parasitic disease or we give them medication for uh, their upper respiratory infection or whatever it is, the chances are they're going to get ill again. The climate, the, the nutrition, the lack of sanitation, all so many things pertain to that. But if we look generically around the world, really in developing countries, the greatest need is dentistry. Dentistry is the area where there are less missionaries. There are more population per dentist than any other place. And, of course, when we want to go off on the mission field and, and, and so forth, um, because people have a toothy problem and they want us to get to the root of it, uh, the, uh, the, the situation is that we go and serve, and in many areas, the relief of pain and infection is the, the area of greatest concern. And yet we're at a time in our own professions where the last thing we want to do is take a tooth out almost. You know, if, if it's periodontally involved and and it's, it's not a good risk, either that or combined perioendo. And we might say, well, the best thing is to, to put an implant in and so forth. So we, we, we do take teeth out. We use good judgment. We use good wisdom. But in developing, in the developing world, the relief of pain and infection is a huge thing. Uh, we don't see in our own country, thank goodness, most of the time, anyone die from a dental infection. We do see it happen, though, in people whose immune system is tremendously depressed, who have leukemia, who are in, in therapy with antimetabolites, and who develop an infection, and in spite of the sophistication of antibiotics and so forth, we can do nothing. So, really, it's the Lord. But behind all that, and I always say this to the residents, behind that tooth is a patient, you know? I mean, sometimes we forget, you know? Behind that tooth is a patient, and why we go is not dependent on the great restoration we do, the pain we relieve, but as it says in Proverbs, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. And really, that's what it is. We have a unique opportunity to do that in dentistry. We see patients more often than physicians. We see families. We develop relationships. We have a tremendous opportunity to, to develop the rapport, the relationship that leads to our influence and our ability to share our faith. So it's a wonderful profession that, that we're in, and it's, it's a great thing. Well, as we get out on the, on the mission field, there are a lot of facial swellings that, that we see, and differentiating this from other kinds of problems is sometimes an important issue. But here we go out on the mission field, out of our comfort zone, Many dentists don't like to take teeth out. I know as an oral and maxillofacial surgeon, it's probably the thing I least like to do in my whole area of, do, of doing things. Although I enjoy doing it well, I try to do it well, um, it is probably the thing I least enjoy uh, as opposed to uh, orthognathics and uh, trauma and implants and th so many other constructive sort of kinds of things, you think, oh, gosh. 
But, you know, we have the general dentist to, to love and appreciate and encourage, and, and we just like to be a team. And that's one of the great things about dentistry, that it's not present in medicine so much, is that we have a smaller number of specialties, and the gatekeeper is the general dentist. So, But when the general dentist gets out on the mission field, it's another story, and it's a little more uh, difficult, and he's seeing things he doesn't always see, and he's treating things without often suction, often without uh, x-rays, often with poor lighting, and so forth. So you get into a situation where you really need to be very astute in, in your evaluation. So here's a fellow with a facial cellulitis. And it's important to take the good history to find out, well, why, why does he have this? When did it begin? Where, what's hurting? And, and, you know, the oral exam and the other history. Some of the things that we do not have that written history about that you guys get in your offices. Now you don't have, but you need to be careful about many things because often in developing countries, not so much in Africa, but in other areas, people can go into the drugstore and buy antibiotics all the time. And so it's important to get a handle on, well, have they been on antibiotics before? They have any sort of allergies? Have they had any reactions and then sometimes we'll see an abscess formation in addition to some cellulitis. And, and what we see there, too, are the signs of infection, the redness, the heat, the swelling, and the pain, all there in that, in, in that, in that patient. And we, we start to be concerned with the length of time that the swelling has been there, the proximity to the infraorbital uh, uh, canal, and the fact of... of uh, problems with retrograde infection, sinus infections, and so forth. So um, when we see someone with, with a swelling and we're out on the field, we don't have the options that we often have in our office for general anesthetic and so forth. So in, in seeing the area of swelling and all, what we want to do is understand, is it a cellulitis or is it an abscess? Because the treatment is different. If it's an abscess, what do we do? We know that it has to be drained, correct? Even if you take the tooth out, the cause of the problem, it, that doesn't mean that the walled-off infection that's there and an abscess is going to be eliminated. What it means is if you have to discern what is what. If you feel fluctuation and, and so forth, you can give some local anesthetic without getting into the abscess cavity so that that area will actually blanch out. And what you've done there is decrease the vascularity because of the vasoconstrictor. You've numbed the surface, and now it gives you a chance to, to do an incision and drainage. Remember that there are other ways of doing that with block anesthetics that will give you an anesthesia in the area as well. So uh, you, you need to, to do that. And I will often use the anesthetic, the remainder of an anesthetic cartridge, to irrigate the, the abscess cavity after its uh, I and D. So basically, when you do your I uh, and D and you get the, the, the abscess out, Irrigation and opening is a very important part, and keeping it open while it continues to drain and you get the patient on, on some proper antibiotics. That's an important thing. That is the treatment for an abscess. And, of course, the dentist knows the anatomy of the area, so that when you open up a, an, an abscess cavity, you're not severing the the inferior alveolar nerve as it comes out the mental foramen or doing something like that. That's why our incision goes through skin, subcutaneous tissue, buccinator muscle in, in those particular areas, and then into the abscess cavity. And once that's done, then we, we try and spread that area open because sometimes there's loculations in there that the, the fluid is sort of locked in. I then often would like to irrigate it with the anesthetic solution. Remember, 
Why doesn't an anesthesia work in an area of infection, abscess, inflammation? It often doesn't work because the abscess is acid. And what is an anesthetic? A basic salt. And so what happens? You get a neutral salt. So you don't get the anesthetic potential in that area, and it doesn't work well. So you need to be sort of aware of that, go away from the area, do block anesthesia, even if you use an intraoral second division block in some cases that is needed. So here you are doing that, and now you realize, I need to put a drain in to keep that open for a while. I don't have a drain, but you do have a rubber glove. So you cut the the finger off the rubber glove. You make a little uh, sort of Christmas tree out of it. Have you ever seen those where you cut both sides a little bit, keep that center portion? Stretch it over a hemostat. Take a hemostat, stretch it, put it right down in, release it, and then pull the hemostat out. And now the drain is in the bottom of the area, and, and you keep. Particularly important to keep open when you don't have dependent drainage. If you had come in this way, you'd have dependent drainage. It'd be easier to get the drain and, and to get continuous drainage. But you don't have it there, and you need to, to go ahead and do that. So um, let's, let's take a look. If you have a submandibular abscess, uh, the same process develops, and that is that Incision and drainage can be made through the skin, subcutaneous tissue, and then right into there. And then you have sort of a dependent drainage. And you notice here, basically the same tooth. One one instance you had the the development of the abscess in the buccal vestibule. In the other sense, you now have it in the submandibular area. So many of these situations of abscess teeth and deciduous teeth where you have granulations that that form over a fistula, or you have a frank fistula that's that's draining, uh, are easily, you know, taken care of, and your biggest challenge is to get good anesthesia in an an area. Now, often we see certain things that arouse our suspicion. Now, this, this arouses our suspicion because it has been treated by a number of physicians with INDs, but it has a number of openings, and it, it is a draining fistula from the outside with a, for a tooth. But it's in a developing country. We, we don't see many of those in our country because usually they're treated you know, properly. Eventually, the dermatologist realizes this isn't due to a, a dermatologic uh, furuncle or infected sebaceous cyst, I better get a dentist to take a look at this. And so that, that kind of thing happens, and we're sort of in good, in much better shape. In developing countries, it's much more of a prevalent problem, and, and uh, abscess teeth and cellulitis and fistula formation are a big problem. Interestingly enough, this happened in our country. So... Here we are looking at that, and we also had the opportunity, of course, to take an x-ray. And so we take an x-ray, and look at that. So here is a situation that, that sort of is different. And the physician said, I looked in the mouth, I didn't see an abscess tooth. And you wouldn't. So that, that had been going around for a while until they came in and sort of realized, well, Here's a problem, but that's a very unusual case, and that's the reason that I sort of put that in there, is who would expect an impacted tooth, quote, unquote, to have advanced carious lesions and develop an abscess? But that is, is actually the, the situation. So it's very interesting. That is not internal resorption. So at, at any rate, here's the key. Uh, Abscesses, can, as they develop from carious lesions, uh, develop in the bone, and then they take the path of least resistance so that they can come out in the buccal vestibule, they can come out to the floor of the mouth, they can come up into the sinus, uh, the vestibule, the maxilla, 
and so forth. And when they do this, they, they have a whole different appearance. And as these things develop down into the floor of the mouth or into the neck, they become a serious problem. And it could be a pericoronitis around a, an impacted wisdom tooth that actually causes a lot of swelling into the palate and you get a peritonsillar abscess or an abscess around the tonsil area because this spreads. And the cellulitis, you know, of, a, of a strep has the spreading factor and it just goes out there and it spreads into the soft tissue and you have a real serious problem in not too, diff- too difficult a time. And also, it, it gives you trismus because as, it, as the infection spreads, it gets into the pterygoid muscle, gets into the masseter, and so forth, and even up into the temporalis sometimes. So people can't open their mouth then. You know, they, they have limited opening, and they have that kind of pain. So you folks are the expert diagnosticians of these kind of problems and understand how we need to be careful and manage uh, infections that, that occur. Even periodontal problems can develop into a combined periodontal abscess uh, and, and periapical involvement in developing countries because it's going on so long. You have a combined lesion then. So those are the things that we need to be sort of aware of. it. So infections, we don't monkey around. You know what I'm saying? We don't even Mickey Mouse around. So uh, what we do is we try and realize what the anatomy is. We try and give a, a drainage. We realize that this infections follow the fascial planes, and it is a very serious kind of thing because it's only a short distance, basically, between uh, the floor of the mouth going down, you know, the parapharyngeal area and even to get a mediastinal infection. And in developing countries, that's often the cause of death because it impinges on heart muscle and heart work and the fluid will cause a serious problem. Those people certainly, and here you are out in the boonies somewhere, but what you need to do is establish uh, some intravenous antibiotics for this person. Rocephin is not a bad idea, a gram of rocephin, and see the patient back every day or so. If you happen to have, and, and, and you're in question as to whether there's an abscess cavity there or whether it's just a spread of infection, you can often, if you have someone on the team who's a diagnostic radiologist who has an ultrasound, he can do an ultrasound study and tell if there's an abscess cavity or if it's just cellulitis. So you know, do I have to do an IND? Can I go with just, and it's very difficult sometimes in the neck from lesions that have been there a long time. And we use MRIs to determine some of those kind of things in our own uh, environment. And, And the block anesthetic, uh, in, uh, in the mandible is a great asset to us, even in the areas of infection that we can get by. And, and the anesthetics that we use today, you can see the, the, the wisdom tooth sticking out there. But now let's talk a little bit about uh, getting, getting teeth out. I think most of you are experts in that anyway, so I'm going to go very, very quickly. Uh, the periosteal elevator is, is very important to go around the tooth, to break the connection. We'll have a couple other things I want to show you about atraumatic extractions that may help you a little bit. But actually, with a forcep, we use a, a, quite a lever arm. You know, you have a long lever arm, so don't, don't choke up on the bat. Go back on the, on the forcep so that you can use the maximum lever arm when you're, when you're working. Then you have greater what? Mechanical advantage, which is uh, which is very very important for us, and and the other thing is that we tend to forget about and, and is keep that forcep in the long axis of the tooth. No matter what tooth you're doing, having the forcep in the long axis of the tooth, namely the beaks, is a great help. And if the forcep starts moving or whatever, correct it. 
place it more apically. And the fact that you went around with the periosteal elevator allows you to do that. Now, most people say you pull a tooth. I'm going to tell you something else. You push a tooth. If you want to keep from breaking what part of the tooth off? I take a tooth out so I can get the last third. The rest of it will come out easy. So what do you do? You want the fulcrum of that to be at the very apex. So push all you can. And then you want to luxate a little bit. That will spread the, the plates. But push so that the fulcrum is at the very end. If you don't do that, you know what happens? The fulcrum becomes in here. And then what happens? I got my part. Now it's turn to get your part, you know. And your part's still there. So uh, that, that, that's a problem. And this is the most commonly fractured tooth in the mouth, the first maxillary bicuspid. And it's done most often because we haven't put apical pressure on the, on the tooth as we luxate. So it's very, very, very important when we do that. You, that. I used to say to the residents, you can make a mountain out of a molind. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, there, there are ways of getting roots out and, and sort of removal of bone around a root and then using, you know, elevators or root picks is, is certainly one way to do that. In, in developing countries and also in our practice, I try not to reflect flaps because the less flap you reflect, the, the more comfortable the patient's going to be. If you reflect flaps, they're going to have swelling. They're going to be more uncomfortable. And so there are ways of doing that. And you want to keep the tissue, the soft tissue, protected. You want to do nice things to the soft tissue. I mean, and, and the more experience you have in taking teeth out, the more you know that you're going to get the roots out, most likely. But what's left is what's important, not what you take out. So if you have trouble with a maxillary tooth and you're having trouble getting it out, there are ways of sectioning it, and certainly sectioning it through. Now, what do you talk about in doing that on the mission field? There are some wonderful battery-operated, high-torque, straight-hand pieces that you can use. I, I do not have any interest in any company. But uh, Bell Travel or Bell Dental has a portable, uh, battery-operated, high-torque handpiece that I use all the time. I've done open reductions with it. I've done... All kinds of things with it. It is excellent. And they've improved their batteries so that they last longer and they're very powerful. So it's a, it's a good thing. And if you have a question, you can go up and sort of take a look at things. But as you section a tooth, and you can do that uh, often uh, without sort of reflecting a flap. But you, you uh, want to divide the, the uh, buckle roots you can take out, if you section through the buccal roots, the palatal root just that way. Trying to remove the palatal root, uh, if, if you don't, uh, be, aren't able to, to do it that way, the important thing is to section the whole thing off and get the buccal roots out first so you have a greater ease with the palatal root. Palatal root will be the toughest one for you to remove. That's why you want to sort of protect that area and try and get that one out first if you can. And, and you certainly know uh, how to use the elevators and how to gently go around the elevators with some fine picks if you have roots remaining and, and the utilization of these. But let me tell you one of the things that, that is so uh, helpful. You have to be very, very careful, particularly in palatal roots and areas of the maxilla, that you're not pushing on the root. And so your elevator cannot be really big when you're working in that area because all of a sudden the root disappears and you didn't get it out. So it's in the maxilla. And that's very embarrassing. 
because now you've got a bit, little bit more of a, of a job to do. But there are periatomes now. I don't know if you're aware of those, but those are titanium. They are just absolutely fantastic at being able to, and there you can't appreciate it quite as much as you can here. That top drawing, if you look at that, see how thin that is? Well, that will fit down in the periodontal membrane space. You can go around that periodontal membrane space very easily, put no pressure on the root. And you know another thing that I do? If you go around that periodontal membrane space and you separate that root so that you've stripped the periodontal uh, ligament around that root, and you take a root canal file in a palatal root, and you screw it in. You want it to stick, because now you're going to pull it out and take the root with it. Very easy, no problem. So now you, you, there are various usage. You know, I, I'm not an endodontist. You can tell that, right? I use the, 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 the uh, reamer to screw into the root and to take it out after you've used a periatome to go around the root and separate it. So now it's easier, much easier to take out. So these are wonderful things. They, they, uh, they're, they're great. We, we have used them uh, for years um, helping the orthodontist. When he rotates teeth and moves teeth, there's a connection with the periodontal attachment to the tooth. And to avoid it going back, we go around the tooth and, and loosen and remove the, the, the fibers, the connective fibers around the crest of the bone and the periodon. And then when that heals and they reattach, they're without pressure. So it's, it's in, in some difficult cases, that is a great idea. So periatome and atraumatic uh, extraction using a periatome and anatomic forceps. Notice the beaks of those forceps, how thin they are. After you go, you can go down a root that's left. You can go down a tooth that, that's still in total. But now it's anatomically done. Look how t those roots are. And look at the serrations here with the, with the little groove so that you have control of that tooth. In, in a maxillary tooth, you go around with the periatome, you put that on there, and you just rotate slightly because it's a conical root. You don't even have to start lugging and breaking the thing because you may want to put an implant in there. You may want to preserve the alveolus with a graft. There are a lot of things that you might want to do. You don't want to be traumatic in your removal, and so there are very great ways of being atraumatic some of the newer ways. But as we do, as I said, hold the forcep in the back. Keep the long axis with the root in the mandible. Almost universally, I use a bite block. And I do it for a good reason. There are many people who have temporomandibular joint problems. And although we ask, have you ever had this problem or not, some people don't even know that they've had a problem. And, and, that, and, and so this, what does this do? It stabilizes the mandible. And any kind of pressure that you put on, when we have patients asleep in the office or whatever, we protect the temporomandibular joint. We don't want to see them have torquing of the joint and all that. And no matter what, if you have your mouth open and you're wrenching on some lower teeth, there's a lot of pressure there, and the patient feels it. So if you have them bite on a bite block, boy, they don't realize that you've even got the tooth out. They say, whoa, you didn't do that yet. No, did you? So uh, that's, that's the deal. And, and, of course, this is a cow horn. Now, anyone, everyone know what a cow horn is and, and, and how that is? Well, with a cow horn, it's a little bit different in terms of how we use a cow horn. Once you get it, set in the, in the sort of the bifurcation of the roots. And you want to make sure when you look at an x-ray that that tooth has bifurcated roots. You have that advantage. Then you pump 
that you squeeze hard and you pump because what what do you want to do? Seed it down in. Get the points under the bifurcation so that now when you luxate, you you can do that. But sometimes you'll find as well that, you know, the tooth is so broken down, you can't really get that in there. So what you need to do then is section the tooth and take the roots out separately. Now, there's no need to reflect a flap when you do this. You can section the tooth with a straight elevator, try and preserve whichever part, and usually you have a mesial or a distal that looks pretty good. So that's what you're going to save and, and, and use your straight elevator on to get that part out. You may be able to loosen it slightly, may be able to go around with a periotome, may be able to loosen it slightly with an elevator, and then you may be able to just take a universal force upon it and just gently take that part of the root out. Now you've got one root left. And so you're thinking ahead, you're planning ahead, I'm going to save this part and I'm going to use this. And then you go down, and maybe the part of the root that's left is so decayed it's down, let's say, uh, even below the crest. Use an east-west elevator. This is a cryo. It's shorter, uh, but an east-west to go down lower and go right through the septum and then pick that root up and just lift it out. Now you haven't made a big and, – and that's not traumatic. You know, it sounds, oh, that's bad. No, it's not. You haven't reflected a flap that's like taking the tooth out. They'll have no more discomfort than they ever had. And now you've gone just right through there and you've lifted that root out. And so that's the sort of the, the nice way of, of doing it. And, and the uh, cryos are very good. They, they're shorter. They're at a slighter different angle than, than what we call the flags or the east-west. They're longer. They're more aggressive for that part where there's a smaller part of root in there. And these can be used in the maxilla, too, where you're trying to get that one buckle root out that's, that's, that remains. And, and you can go down through the small interceptal area there and, and do that with that. So that, that works. And, and again, sectioning that tooth that, that it may be so broken down you can't do it. You're going to section in between the roots you don't need to always uh, uh, reflect a flap. I mean, that's our, our last resort. Uh, but as you do that, you know, you can use a, a cryo to get things started. You can use a straight elevator, get one root out, and then you're, you're, you're home free. But there are people that have a lot of swelling. This young lady has a, a tremendous amount of swelling from a parotid abscess. So not everything is dental, and we're in a position where sometimes the physician can't determine, wants us to look at it. We don't have all the x-rays, so it's very hard for an exam on the field. Uh, but milking the, the buccal aspect to see if there's some drainage there. What if you have a young child with all this kind of thing that came in? Could be mumps. Would you get pus out of a parotid if you milked it forward and somebody had mumps? No. Because what? It's a virus, isn't it? Isn't it? So that you wouldn't expect that you're going to, it's not a pus producing kind of thing unless you get secondary infection. And you can get secondary infection. So a lot of things like that. And in developing countries, there's a lot of mumps because the immunization system is not as is good, right? Okay. And also in the floor of the mouth with calculus or, or a stone that forms, a sialolith in the duct, what are you going to do? So in those areas, you have to increase the drainage. You have to open the duct. You have to get the stone out. But it's not a tooth. And, and, and there's, by milking the submandibular area, you can, you can get, uh, Drainage. You can see that that's where the problem is. So many people ask, well, what do you use for sterilization? Well, I'll tell you, sterilization, uh, many years ago we used to use Cydex 
And, and really, there's nothing wrong with Cydex, but it's not a sterilizing agent as we use it because we only use it for 20, 30 minutes. So it's a high-level disinfectant. And in many cases, TSA will take it out of your trunk. So they don't understand. You can put and wrap around the bottle the, the statistics and the fact that if it's not uh, reconstituted with the liquid, it's perfectly safe, it's fine. They still don't care. They'll take it out. So they're nervous in the service. So what we uh, need to do is use uh, uh, just a pressure cooker. That's a great, great way because 20 minutes, it's a steam sterilizer. And if it's used right, use that grate, build the grate up high, put the water in the bottom, do not cover your instruments with water. Why not? Because basically, you cover your instruments with water, now you're, in, you're boiling your instruments. And it's not as good as pressure, the higher temperature of the steam under pressure. The higher pressure of the steam under pressure is key. And that is what sterilizes the instruments. Within a, it's, it's almost equivalent to a flash clay because you can do it in about 20 minutes. From the time it starts to, <laughs> right, starts to pop off, and the next thing you know, you're, you're waiting that time, and it's wonderful, and it's, it, it's the best way. You need a mitt to make sure that because you've got hot instruments out of here. You want to protect your helper and, and not get people burnt. But for underneath a hot plate, Electric, you don't have electric, gas, hot plate kind of thing would work. We've even had to use fire, an odd thing, you know. Wood fire, it kills this pot. But uh, there, are, there are so many ways that we can try and do it, and your national partners can help you find what is abundant and, and able to be used, whether it's a generator or some way. But it's, it's just great to be able to use, and, and it gives you a sense of, of do no harm. You know, that's, that's really what we want to do. So it's work. You know what I mean? When you're taking a tooth out, it, they don't say in, on, on the field, it's like taking a tooth out. Well, that doesn't mean you're falling off a lot. Pulling a tooth can be a lot of work, or pushing a tooth can be a lot of work. And I mean, you, you need to, to and, and you don't have, good, and you need someone to hold that light, and, and you, you've got, you're working along and, and trying to do things with or without a mouth prop and with or without, you know, good lighting on the field. It's, it's not an easy thing. But I'll tell you, when you've got a great assistant, this is the most happy time. That's, that's my girlfriend right there. And, and I'll tell you, she is the best helper. You know what I tell her? Don't give me the instrument I ask for. Give me the one I need. <laughs> so so that, that, that makes it a lot easier, you know. But uh, when you have someone who, who is able at your side as an assistant, that is just great. And that's one of the disadvantages, too, that we have on the field, isn't it? Often the people that we have to work with us are not experienced in the mouth. They might not even like to look in the mouth, much less see blood. So it is a, it, something that, that's very important. And we want to protect our, our people that are, that are working there in a sense that if they're going to be assisting in the mouth, they're wearing gloves. If they're doing those kind, so that they are protected, because many people that will help you are not familiar with the risks the biohazards, all those kind of things. So you need to be aware of that. You need to be willing to help. And then there is a certain thing that's so wonderful when we get the opportunity to help and to train national doctors or dental technicians. In many areas of the world, dentistry is so far behind and so difficult, and there's not enough dentists in the pipeline to help. But you may be in an area where 
the Ministry of Health, you say, look, if you have some dental technicians that are out there, and they'd love to come and help you. They know how to assist. And you could show them and help them in a little way about, you know, a cheer site. These happened to be some, some surgical residents in Vietnam when I was there many years. And we, we went there, and they're tw- they were 20 years behind us. They had completely separated from Western medicine. And Western medicine had been, we hope it stays, the gold standard of healthcare in the world. And the same is true with dentistry. The gold standard of dentistry is in the United States. The best quality, the best caring, and the best ability. So uh, you folks are entering a profession, or you're in a profession, that is the most outstanding in the world. And that is the gold standard that helps you go into developing countries around the world. Because you are the gold standard. They want to see you come. They want your help. And so if it's a creative access country, a country that is closed often to others, it may well be open to your medical team because they know that you are. And so who's provided that? The Lord. He's given you the opportunity. And to whom much is given, much is expected. And we've been given the opportunity to work in the greatest profession in the world. So, um, as we do that, we'll meet many people, many populations in our time, many very primitive uh, opportunities to care for people, to show them the love and the compassion of Christ that they have never experienced in their whole life. And, and many of the people as they come and, and as we care for them will have, for the first time, an exposure to the gospel. And so it's just such an important thing for us. Now, one of the things that we're always lacking and and, and a problem is portable x-rays. Well, now we have portable x-rays. Portable, handheld x-rays. I mean, we can take that in a suitcase. It charges by the handle. It's a fantastic opportunity for us to to have x-rays for that root that's left that we don't know where it is and it's tough to do, make a diagnosis that we're not familiar with, and uh, you can use this portable x-ray unit in your office. Let's say you make an addition to your office and you have four new operatories. Well, you can use this in every operatory, one unit. You don't have to put a unit in each, in, e- in each one. It's a very handy thing. And over here, you can make adjustments for adult or child. You make an adjustment for, for a digital radiography. You make an adjustment for your regular. You make an adjustment for the exposure. You make an adjustment for anterior or posterior teeth. And so really, it's great. It's a great, great uh, instrument. I don't know if you've had any experience with it. Uh, it comes in, in a suitcase that you can easily take with you. It's uh, lithium-ion uh, batteries that are easily charged. You even can get uh, plugs that adapt to different countries. It is a super thing. And this actually is the guard which protects you as you take the x-ray. Believe it or not, that's how carefully it is uh, collimated and sealed in that unit that you handheld-wise are getting less x-ray than you would otherwise. Yes? Yeah, all the uh, medical-wise, too, we do have that problem. Very good point. There are some things that are very, very important about uh, carrying our instruments and our things that we do into developing countries because we also bring them out. And they're very concerned sometimes not just about the unit, but are you taking it in to sell it? 
So it's important to have a, a, a sale thing that you have bought it. It's important if you come from an organization to have another letter saying that they give permission for you to use it on a free clinic and bring it back so that not only our TSA and everything has that understanding, but in the developing country as well. And so it comes in that nice suitcase, and that nice suitcase will fit in a trunk. So that's that. we have the least problem with that. But where do you get into the problem? Well, here you do. Here you do. Now what are you going to do with this x-ray film? I don't know if any of you have worked with it, but over here is the mixer for developer and fixer. And you take your picture over here, and you have your developer and fixer. You do the mix. You do it for mix it back and forth and, and do it for 50 seconds and then push the developer and the fixer back into this portion of the envelope and then open it, take it out, rinse it well. But let me tell you, what happens when you put this, which is hand-carried, or greater radiation in your suitcase? That's you check. Black pictures, we call it. They're already exposed. So it has to be hand-carried. When you get to the area, you have to say, this has to be hand-checked, which means it has to be opened, and they have to take it out. They'll do their little wipes on it or whatever. They'll be confused by it. It'll hold you up. But that's the only way to get this, this film back. High definition, quick developing, automatic X-ray film that you can take on the field. Now you don't need developer and fixer. You got it right here. So, but people are very concerned about those things today. And, and you need to be concerned if you're going to take it. But I'll tell you, it's a great asset to have. We were at a hospital in China which had everything, including digital radiography. I mean, it was fantastic. They had impacted teeth lined up for me for months. Anyhow, uh, we, the, the thing that happened was we had people leave for lunch or some other people come in for emergencies or whatever, and, and basically with the patient, with their, you know, apron on, you're safe in taking that, that X-ray, and your exposure is less than a regular X-ray machine in an office. Honestly, it's amazing. And, uh, and so... Uh, this, this kind of thing. And here we are. Well, what do you do? For the first time, we can take x-rays to the patient. They could be on the ward. They could be in the emergency room. They could be at a nursing home. They could be at a convalescent center. They could be at a detention center. Any of these places, all of a sudden, you get called Hey, could you come over and see this patient and you want to check it and you want to find out what? You can do it. And you can bring the x-ray to the patient. And here we are in a hospital that had everything, CTs, MRIs, digitally done, fantastic. But they were absolutely amazed. They hadn't seen anything like this. They said, wow, where'd that come from? So uh, I made sure they didn't take it and, and copy it. <laughs> they'd have five out there next week. They're great at doing that. But at any rate, this is a, this is, it's a great, great unit. It's something we need to, uh, to, to use, and, it, and it's something that we can use effectively. Now, most of the things we stay away from on the field is uh, impacted teeth. Most general dentists are not familiar with taking impacted teeth out, and, and, and they can be problematic. But they're problematic sometimes if they stay. They, they may have infection, pericoronitis, and, and some bone loss on, on another tooth. They may have root resorption or caries on another tooth. Or they may have a cyst development uh, around a tooth and so forth. So some of these things can be a terrible problem. Now, what do you do? You may not have a, a maxillofacial surgeon on the team and, and, but if you feel you can't do it, don't do it. That's, that's the best thing. If you feel you can't do it, 
don't do it. You're not doing anybody a favor if, if you get them into a worse problem. But basically, our flap design for maxillary teeth is going around the cervical margin, going buckly all the way back to the, to the uh, annulus, and then reflecting the tissue. Now, that's great if the tooth is, is, is in that position. And if you have it, the x-ray to do it, if you have that, you know, nomad, you can see what you're doing. I, I think for someone to do impacted teeth without any x-rays, you probably need your head examined. You know, don't examine the patient. Examine your head. Because it is a tough deal. It is a tough deal. And if the tooth is high and maybe have roots up into the sinus and so forth, you need to do an anterior releasing flap. And you want bone always to be on the full margins of the flap. So if you're going to take some bone away and you're going to have to, you want your releasing incision to be long and you want it to give you exposure that you're going to need to protect the, the tissue. Um, then, in, of course, in the maxilla, most of the time we'll, we'll take that bone away. I take the bone away in the maxilla with a hand chisel. Now, it's not the little chisel you use on your operative. It's a, it looks like an elevator handle, but it has a chisel, and it's for bone, and you can just, because maxillary bone is not dense, usually. So you can go around that bone and take the bone away, and you can sculpt it, you know, like uh, Michelangelo. You can sculpt that right around the, the tooth, and so you get the bone away, and then you use the elevator to, to sort of lower it. You want to make sure that you put your retractor back in that area, because if that tooth comes out, where is it gone? The retro uh, mandibular area or out in the cheek. And boy, if it gets lost out there, kitty bar the door. Because it, it is very difficult to find in the, in the buckle fat pad and in everything else. So you have to be exceedingly careful on how you deliver the tooth and how you control what's, what's going on out there. Because something that's gone easy can go haywire in no time. In the mandible, we want to keep the incision buckly because of the lingual nerve that runs very, very close, sometimes against the mandible in those areas. So you keep your incision over the impacted tooth on the buccal side. You can go around those teeth with an envelope tap, flap if it's, if, it, if it's high. You don't need a, a vertical releasing. But if it's very, very deep uh, or it's uh, uh, going to be a difficult uh, removal, then do the vertical releasing to give yourself plenty of room. You want to protect and be gentle on the tissue. That's Because that, you're leaving that. What you do to the tooth, you can cut it up into 13 pieces if you want. But what you do to that flap is going to be left and it's going to influence the healing greatly. So you want to be careful of that. Horizontal impactions, uh, we always uh, at least... Uh, the, and, and they don't do it all the way. When I was in China... Uh, they had lined up all these patients for me to see that had impacted teeth. They didn't use a, a drill the way we do. Their technique was chisel and a mallet and so forth to remove bone and do all. So we do things a little bit differently. We try and be gentle. Uh, there are great fissure burrs that have a rounded end to them. We used to use round burrs and then a fissure, but now they have rounded tipped <coughs> fissure burrs so that they're surgical burrs. And you can make a, go right in and make a point, because fissure burrs don't cut well on the end. But these do, because they're nice and rounded. So you, t you can take your bone away. You can section the crown of the tooth off in a, in a horizontal impaction, and then make a purchase point and pull it out with a cryo. Or what I use is a Caldwell, Caldwell elevator. The Caldwell elevator is perfectly round. It's at, it's at an angle. But what does that do? I'm not influenced by, you know, a square uh, object in a round hole that gears it to come in a certain direction. So that if the root is curved, it can pivot around that round instrument in a round hole. So you pull it forward, and, it can, and, it, and that's the way it works easier. So that's a, just a little tip for people who are trying to do that, but um, 
I mean, most of the time we're going to stay away from impacted teeth. Vertical impactions or mesioangulars can be the uh, vertical, certainly the most complicated, uh, or distoangulars. But uh, we, we want to try and avoid this kind of a thing. But on the, on the field, we'll often see that kind of a situation where even that second molar is in worse condition and it's lost. But sectioning the tooth and taking roots out at a time, divided and conquer, we say. And in distoangulars, we have to take even more bone away. And, and uh, we often look at what the class ramus that it is. If, if you don't have enough room in that ramus as you take the picture to get the whole crown of the tooth in, then you know it increasingly gets more difficult. That's a considerably more difficult impaction than one that has a longer ramus. The tooth may be malposed and impacted, but you got room there. You're in the body of the mandible. The other time, you're in the ramus of the mandible. So it's a much more difficult surgical procedure. Well, I, I have a list of resources in there for you, and there's many, many others. Uh, that, that you can look for and look at uh, that, that would be helpful, I think, in these, in these kind of areas. The two biggest things that are our greatest helps have been the Nomad and have been the Periatome to, and, and the Forceps to use really atraumatic kind of extractions on the field and that make your job easier. Like I say, that Periatome and the Reamer, who would have thought you're going to do exodontia you'd bring endodontic reamers. Well, they're great if you have a palatal root or something and you really need to get that out and you're going to screw it in. Do any of you have any questions or anything that I can might be able to answer for you? I want to scratch you where the, you itch, so to speak. There, I'm trying to think of the name, and, and it's not Dextra, Dexis. Dexis. It's it's another one, but they have a. They're expensive. Yeah. Digital software is expensive. You know that. So they, there is one that has almost a a uh, sort of cell phone size uh, field that that attaches. You can have the patient hold it. And it goes, it'll go, we're, we're looking into that right now to supplement our and go with our uh, Nomad Pro. And uh, it, what it, it's about $7,000. And it is the, the digital photographic uh, receiver that goes in the mouth and a line that comes out and goes into this almost like cell phone. So you have it immediately. It can be transferred to a computer, and if somebody needs to keep records and all that, it, you have at your capacity to, to make it darker or lighter or to help you magnify areas or whatever. So it has a lot of capability for a small portable unit that can be used sort of as an emergency. If you were an endodontist and taken a number of of, of quick pictures and you just wanted something that maybe you weren't going to keep as part of the patient record, but you needed quick uh, something. It might be a good way to do it, but we're an operatory that wasn't set up with a computer or you were going on the mission field. But it's a great uh, thing. And they are working on a medical unit. The same, uh, the same company is working on a medical unit that will actually do uh, chest x-rays and some other things. It's a handheld portable. So it, it, coming out in the future is going to be some really excellent kinds of things. Unfortunately, we're still at that part of the curve where this is very expensive. Even the, the, the Nomad Pro is a like $7,000 investment or so. And I'm sure that they're probably guaranteed for the year and, and well done. So it's, a, it, it's something certainly you ought to think about. It, it, it lends an area of security to getting out of your comfort zone and really 
diagnostically or therapeutically uh, curative type uh, need that assistance. I think it's a great asset. Anything else? Thank you. Let's, let's just pray for a second. Father, we just thank you for your blessings, for your grace, for your majesty. We are in awe of the way you touch our hearts, enlighten our spirits, renew and refresh our souls. And Father, we have but one prayer for this time. That you would use us to be a blessing to you. That we might bring glory and honor and praise to you and enhance your kingdom. Allow us, Lord, to be fruitful as we go and as we serve. Allow your presence to be felt as we are there. And, Lord, open the door, for we know that we can do nothing without you. Open the door of the hearts of those who we care for, that they might see Jesus and know him as their Lord and Savior. For we ask it in the name of Jesus and for his glory.